You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, as Grant said, my name's Mike, one of the pastors here. Uh, so good to uh, have you here this morning and to kind of extend my welcome. If you're, if you're new, uh, especially if church kind of isn't normally your thing, uh, well done on being here this morning. And regulars, it's so good to see you as well. Hey, just a couple of quick updates before I start. Uh, firstly, our City Kids coordinator, you might have seen her at the kids signing desk on the way in, Olivia Governor. She's about to go on maternity leave, uh, and we're, gonna, we're excited we're going to announce uh, her maternity leave uh, fill in uh, for a year. We're excited to announce that next week uh, and we'll over Thursday uh, for the parents on Zoom as well. So stay tuned for that. Uh, secondly, it's still early days, but we're beginning to work out a process of what it will look like to appoint a new lead pastor. Uh, until then, uh, the local staff um, and elders uh, will be preaching a bit more uh, and continuing to run, um, run things on the ground. You know, we'll occasionally be getting uh, some other guest preachers from across City on a Hill. Um, but we've got the central leadership team's blessing, and hopefully yours as well, just to keep going business as usual. You know, I've been really encouraged by you guys, encouraged by your support, encouraged by your love and unity in the gospel and your prayers. God's got this, and God will keep building His church. He is in control. Um, thirdly, uh, we're going to also, we've talked about this before, but we're moving towards a model of more local governance and accountability, which we'll continue to provide more updates on. Uh, if you've got any questions about those things, uh, come chat to myself, Grant, the staff and elders would love to, to engage with you. If you've got thoughts, you've got prayer requests, come, please come chat to us. And finally, here's something that um, really exciting, I'm really excited for. 
church camp. It's, yeah, let's, let's make some noise, church camp. Our first ever one, City on a Hill, Brisbane, first ever church camp. Uh, the staff, uh, we, went away, we, went, uh, we went up for the day uh, and checked out the site uh, up at Mapleton. It's an incredible site. Uh, it's got a waterfall on site. It's got swimming pools, got tennis court, volleyball that can be lit up at night. We're in a, we're in a cinema, but do you, know what, do you know what's better than an indoor cinema? An outdoor cinema, that's right. It's got an outdoor cinema, um, a bonfire. It's, it's just a beautiful place. Um, so we're looking forward to just spending time in God's creation, in community. Um, and who's been around church for kind of, you know, less than a year? Hands up. A bunch of you guys. Yeah, maybe you're like, I'm new. I don't want to put my hand up. Um, if, you, if you're sort of feeling like you don't know heaps of people, um, hey, that, that's totally normal. Going away on a weekend like this, we haven't done this before, I've been part of church that's done this, going away like this, it's sort of like doing six months of church relationally in one weekend, that sounds a bit overwhelming, but actually what, what happens is you, you go in walking into a room full of, or a, a site full of maybe a lot of strangers, and you kind of leave feeling like, hang on, I actually know some people, like I'm starting to make friends. Uh, we, we hope and trust that by coming along, uh, it'll be an incredible um, step forward in your, um, your life with us here at City on a Hill. Um, so registration is, uh, is open. So you can register at koa.co slash briz, koa.co slash briz. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd love to, to, if you register as soon as possible. If finances are a barrier, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, we'd love to see how we can get you along. Uh, we, want, we want everyone there. Uh, we want everyone there, all ages. Um, it's going to be cabins, um, all the details. Uh, so it says camp, but you know, you don't, it's not intense. Uh, you will get a bed, um, but we hope to just remove as many barriers as possible. We want everyone there. It's going to be an amazing time. Um, if you're interested in helping out, we're still looking for a couple of different types of people. Occasionally these overlap, although I reckon these are often different people. We're looking for fun people and organized people. Fun people and organized people. I don't know which one you are. If you're both amazing, come chat to us. But, but looking for people just to, yeah, just to help kind of um, make camp as smooth and as helpful as possible, but also as fun and amazing as possible. So look, come chat to me. I'll post something up on Facebook as well. But I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to ask for God's help uh, before as we engage uh, with his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Help us this morning humbly hear and heed your word. Uh, be with me this morning. May uh, I speak your words. Uh, may I be faithful and helpful for all of us here this morning. And I pray that you would get the glory in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, there's some uncertainty going on around the world, isn't there? We live in a time of uncertainty. You know, the economy, interest rates, cybersecurity, tensions with you know, China, tensions with North Korea, Russia, Ukraine, school shootings during the week. We're still dealing with the, the pandemic, flood, natural disasters. Last week in, in Australia, a new government being sworn in, likely to have a majority, uh, but with unprecedented power from independents and minor parties. And of course, at a church where without a lead pastor. The question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is how do we rebuild in the face of uncertainty? How do we rebuild in the face of uncertainty? As Grant said, we're, we're kind of partway through a series called Rebuild, um, looking at the story that, of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. 
Uh, you know, if you're kind of newish to, to things of, of the Bible, even if you've been around for a while, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, it can be a little bit confusing to kind of get your head around. I'm not sure how often you turn to Ezra. I'm not sure if it's part of your kind of, you know, go-to devotional passages. You know, I admit, like, um, I hadn't been spending much time in Ezra before this series started. I even forgot where it was at first. It took me a while to figure out uh, where it was. Uh, Next to two chronicles. I've learned that now. Um, But let's set the scene. As Zach um, told us last week, a big theme throughout history is how will God dwell with his people? This is what God wants. This is God's plan. God's made us in his image to be relational, to reflect him, to be living in community with him and with each other. And, but throughout history, people have ignored God. They've turned their back away from him, making themselves their own ruler instead of him. We see that way back in Genesis, back in the garden. We see Adam and Eve. They had one job, uh, and yet they failed uh, to, not, uh, to eat, the, eat from the tree that God said not to. But, you know, we, we like to kind of bag them out, but I reckon you or I would have done exact same thing. You know, it's like, don't press the red button. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so they were banished from the presence of God. Then uh, later, God gives promises to Abraham. Uh, and French opens on at the moment. I like to remember the promises kind of with a tennis acronym. Lob, God uh, promises Abraham land, offspring, and blessing. Go, this land, I'll show you. I want you to be in uh, the place that I've designated for you, offspring. You're going to have as many kids as there are, stars in the sky. You're going to have a massive family, and you're going to be blessed. In fact, the whole world will be blessed through you. God desires his people to be in his place, under his rule, under his blessing. Hundreds of years later, we see um, God's people, they've made it to the promised land. The palace has been built. They're under a king. Under King Solomon, we see the temple being built, where God's presence is. The temple, it's significant, as we've seen throughout Ezra. It's where God's people come to worship him. But things go downhill fast. Uh, Throughout throughout, um, uh, God's kingdom of Israel, we see a split after uh, God's kings, in particular, turn their hearts away from God. Uh, And God acts in judgment. And we see there's three empires that are important to know. I'll just quickly, Assyria in the north. Assyria, uh, they, God's people turn away from God. And so the Assyrians take over. They exile the northern kingdom, which is the, the top bit, Israel, which is sort of 80% of God's people. They become decimated um, and around 8th century BC. That's the first exile. The second exile uh, in the south, uh, people of Judah, Uh, Babylon, they come, they destroy the temple, Jerusalem, and the city where God's people of Judah are. They get deported over to the east, Babylonia. And later, a new empire arises. You've got Babylon, uh, later on Persia. So that's sort of what we're looking at in Ezra. Persia, uh, they take over that empire where God's people are. And for 70 years, uh, the people of God are living away from the house of God in exile. 70 years. Imagine 70 years of Zoom church. Anyone keen for that? Hands up. Yeah, didn't think so. Uh, Way back in in, uh, Ezra chapter 1, a few weeks ago, we looked at this. Very first verse, I'll read it for you. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Uh, Under the heart of Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, he's known as the Persian Empire, Uh, God stirred in his heart uh, for him to allow people to come back, come back to the promised land and rebuild, and they do. However, we've seen uh, the last few weeks, they're faced with opposition, both externally, 
There's some kind of pretenders, kind of people pretending to be followers of God that get in the way. Uh, there's also internal opposition as well. We saw this uh, as we looked at Haggai. You know, people are kind of choosing to, to pimp their cribs and work on their renos as opposed to the house of God. And also, work is threatened by a Persian governor, another external opposition opponent, who's you know, kind of asked for the, the paperwork, the council approval. You know, who, who, who allowed you to rebuild this temple? And he writes a letter to the king, Darius. We saw this last week. He kind of chases up the archives and he finds it. The king, he finds this letter written, to the previous, written by the previous king, Cyrus, who allowed all this stuff. He finds it in his, like, in his summer holiday house, funnily enough, you know, by the water. This letter that King Cyrus had, had written permitting all this rebuilding to happen. And so we get to today's passage, chapter 7, where seven chapters into the book of Ezra. But you know, who haven't we met yet? Ezra, that's funny. Well, we're going to meet him this morning. For the first six chapters, uh, Zerubbabel, he's the kind of main dude, the main leader of God's people. We'll get to Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. We'll see him later. But, but Ezra, he's really a key guy throughout these books. We'll see him um, through the rest of the narrative. Turn with me, Ezra chapter 7. Verse 1. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So, you know, sometimes we kind of read the Bible and we see something like after this and we think, oh, yeah, that must be like the next day or something. Now, after this is like 50 years later. We see down in verse 7, it's the seventh year of this guy, Artaxerxes. 50 years have passed. It's a long time. You know, 50 years ago, Gough Whitlam was Prime Minister, now suddenly we've got Albo. Imagine that, like it's a long time. A lot of stuff has kind of happened then. You know, there's been um, a whole reign um, back in, um, in the Persian Empire uh, of this king um, called Ahasuerus, or also known as Xerxes. Xerxes, same guy. Has anyone seen 300, the movie? Yeah, a bunch of us. Remember, uh, I think I got a photo of, of this is Xerxes uh, from. Uh, from the, the movie, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, it's semi-fictional, there's some truth to it. But, you know, Xerxes, right, like he's a, he's a, he's a guy that's kind of a god, king, um, you know, but we meet a new king who comes after him. We meet a new king who comes after him, after him, Artaxerxes, it's the year roughly 458 BC, and God's people, things are going sort of all right, it's kind of a big message of Ezra and Nehemiah, things are going okay, um, there's a partial fulfillment of the promises of God, that God's people would be dwelling in God's place under God's blessing. A whole bunch of people are still back in, in Babylon. They're still back away from the promised land. But there are some people there in Jerusalem, and they're, they're, they're committed to kind of worshipping God, yet they lack some direction. They lack depth. They don't have God's word shaping them. And the first six chapters we've seen have been about rebuilding the temple uh, now we're going to look at rebuilding the people, the community. Uh, last week, Zach helpfully uh, challenged us to be part of uh, the rebuild because we are the temple. If we're followers of Jesus, it means that you have God's presence, not dwelling in a building, but dwelling in your heart through the Holy Spirit. So how do we rebuild in the face of uncertainty? How do we rebuild in the face of uncertainty? Well, first thing, two points. Uh, first point, we need to remember that this is God's church. Remember, this is God's church. We need to hold some tension. There's a few tensions going in the Bible. A big one is we need to hold the tension here between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Got that? We need to hold the tension between God's sovereignty, His control. He's in charge, and yet 
he still holds us responsible, accountable. Uh, Robert File, I was reading a commentary this week, uh, he's an, a commentator on Ezra. He says that we shouldn't turn into pietists who say, God will do all the work. You know, this is misguided as the activists who imagine that the kingdom of God will only come if we're continually bustling around. Rather, we must be ready to move when God opens the door. You know, I remember I met, um, I was in America a few years ago before the US presidential election, and I, I met this Amish guy, and I asked, who are you going to vote for? And, and he said, um, you know, I don't believe in voting. I'm not going to vote because God's in control. Yes, God is in control. That is true. And yet he still calls us to move and take responsibility, do things like voting. You know, you have responsibility, church, to build the house of God. Yes, you have responsibility. You aren't just to sit back and enjoy life on an, with you know, sipping cocktails out of umbrella straws. You have responsibility. Uh, last week, a uh, guy who's the kind of lead pastor of the movement, um, uh, sitting on a hill, he, uh, he used a helpful analogy that sometimes we can see church as a spiritual vending machine where you rock up, press a few buttons, and hope that a product comes out for you that suits your needs. Friends, that's not what we've been called into. That's not what God calls us into. You have been commissioned into his building project. But it's his building project. It's his. Unless the Lord builds his house, the laborers work in vain. We still have to work, but unless it's his work, it's in vain. Our starting point must be that this is God's church. We see in the book of Ezra, God, he's the one at work building his house. 50 years have passed. Uh, we see this young guy, he's probably in his 20s, Ezra, um, who's 1,500 kilometers away from Jerusalem uh, in Babylon. Uh, and God is, God is going to use this man to rebuild his community. Uh, come with me. We're going to read a few verses. Uh, come with me, chapter 7. We'll read 1 to 6. Now, after this, 50 years later, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Seriah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meroth, son of Zehariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abushia, son of Phinehas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king had granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Now, you get to a genealogy in the Bible, you've got some kind of names that are hard to read. Like, what do you do? It's kind of temptation to kind of scroll through, to skip over. Now, that, that's the kind of boring bit of the Bible, right? You know, you come to a movie. Uh, what's the most boring bit of a movie? The credits, that's right. Unless you know someone. You know, if your uncle, your cousin, your mate's in the credits, you're going to stick around to the end of the movie and say, hey, I saw you. Even if they were like the third assistant orange boy, you know, you're going to stick around and see that. Genealogies, they're important because they're about real people. They're about real people that God has used to, to tell his story. I don't know if you saw any familiar names there. There's one in particular, a guy, Aaron. Do you remember him? He's Moses' brother. He was the first high priest. Um, if, if he, even if you're new to the Bible, you're unfamiliar. It says here, verse 5, that Aaron it was the chief priest. This is important. 
because uh, we, we're going to learn about Ezra, that he comes from a priestly line, uh, the, people, the, the people that were responsible for bringing the people to God. Uh, so what are we going to learn about Ezra? Verse 6 uh, is critical. This Ezra, not just any Ezra, this one in particular, he went up from Babylon. Uh, and then you, in the Old Testament, uh, you see when people are going up, it's because they're going not necessarily physically up a hill, but towards Jerusalem, up towards Jerusalem, regardless of which way you're facing. Because Jerusalem, that's the center. That's where God's place is. Um, but we learn more important things about him. He's a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. He's a Bible guy. But also, the king had granted him all that he'd asked for. The king had granted him all that he asked for. Uh, you know, um, in the movie 300, Xerxes, he's, he's, he's one of the, the kings, the kings that happened just before him. You know, the same guy, we can read about him in Esther as well. He impaled a guy. If you read Esther, you, you see he impaled a guy, Haman, his right-hand guy, for being a jerk. You know, Middle Eastern kings in the 5th cent, century BC, they weren't people to be mucked around with. And Ezra, he had the confidence to go and ask him a bunch of stuff and what happens? The king had granted him all that he asked for. Ezra had courageously asked incredible risky things of the king to go back to Jerusalem to, to bring people with him to be able to teach the Bible. And these requests received a yes. Why? We'll have a look at verse 6. For the hand of the Lord of his God was on him. God's hand is at work, rebuilding his people. This is God's plan throughout all of history, that he will keep building his church despite of any opposition. Keep reading with me down to verse 9. For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. You know, he takes his four months. Um, you know, I did a half marathon. I, I finished the half marathon. I didn't quite run the half, but I finished the half marathon uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, that's 21 k's. This guy, Ezra, he took a bunch of people 1,500 kilometers um, from Babylon uh, to Jerusalem on pretty dodgy roads. Um, and he gets there because God's hand is upon him. King Artaxerxes, he writes a letter. We can read about this letter. Uh, I'll read a few verses from verse 13. This is what he says. I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. You're also, uh, you're also to carry the silver and the gold that the king, his counselors, have uh, freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. The king, after in response to Ezra's request, he's made a law that God's people can go freely uh, with, uh, to Jerusalem with Ezra. They're not forced to, but they can freely go uh, with him. But even more than that, the king, he's sending, he's commissioning Ezra to be their leader. And keep reading, the promises just keep stacking on. Uh, the blessings, sorry, I should say. Uh, verse 20, uh, and, and Artaxerxes says, And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to, to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. The king's like, hey, Ezra, 
you know, take my credit card, just, you know, whatever you want, just go pay for it, it's yours, I'll open up a tab, you got this, mate. That's incredible. Check out verse 23, it keeps on going. Uh, Verse 23, uh, whatever is decreed, uh, whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of of his sons. We will also notify that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants on this house of God. So King Artaxerxes not only bankrolls them, but he allows them to keep their laws. In fact, uh, he even sends Ezra to help enforce God's law. It's remarkable. Uh, And What's more, the people that are working on the temple, they, they don't have to pay tax. That sounds unbelievable. How can this kind of enemy king just keep blessing Israel like this? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, uh, just a subtle thing that um, the empires, ancient empires weren't all the same. Uh, I talked about three empires at the start. The Assyrians, they just obliterated uh, people, right? They, they were not um, friendly with um, their kind of foreigners that they took captive of. The Babylonians, they sought to assimilate, that people could kind of blend in and become part of the culture. The Persians, though, uh, as long as you didn't tick them off, they were happy, especially as their empire grew, um, to kind of set up little kind of puppet states, to set up little kind of communities where people could sort of keep doing their own thing as long as they sort of didn't get, a, get in their way. And so um, Israel, Jerusalem was kind of the end of a part of the Persian Empire. They were able to sort of keep going, uh, doing their own thing, uh, which, which is pretty good for God's people. And yet, It wasn't just they were able to do it as a sort of neutral state. The king bankrolls and blesses and just kind of even stops anyone who's getting in the way. There's this incredible favor and blessing. Um, Why is that? Well, because the hand of the Lord was upon the people of God. Uh, How does Ezra respond? Well, come with me to verse 27. It's It's not surprising. He says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And he who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. Why? Key verse. For the hand of the Lord, my God, was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. He praises God because the hand of the Lord was upon him. That phrase gets repeated three more times in chapter 8. There's this mini exodus. 5,000 people come from Babylonia up to Jerusalem uh, towards the promised land. But then they realize, whoops, we forgot something. It's kind of awkward. They forgot the priests, the Levites. They have to kind of go back and send some people to kind of come and, and bring, make sure that some priests are there with them. And during this, Ezra, he refused to ask the king for help. Even though he sort of got the, you know, the king wrapped around his little finger, um, he refused to ask for kind of a security detail. Um, and yet he kind of um, gets people to do that himself. Why? Because, uh, verse 22, the hand of, of, of God is good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against those who forsake him. We see God's hand is at work. Six times in these two chapters, this phrase, the hand of God is being with his people. God is getting his hands dirty, rebuilding his community, his church. God's hand is at work, working often behind the scenes to achieve his purposes. 
In order for us to rebuild, for whatever position we find ourselves in collectively, we need to remind each other of this, that God is in control. God is the one who is good, whose promises we can bank on, we can trust. See down a hill. God is calling you to keep building his church in the face of uncertainty. Let's remember that it's his church, that his good hand is on us. Hardships have and will come, but God is good and he is with us. Let's be people of prayer. Let's pray big prayers because we serve a big God. You know, we're adopting uh, the Japanese people as an unreached people group. It's the second largest unreached people group in the world. Over 100 million people uh, aren't followers of Jesus, not trusting Jesus, most of whom don't even know a Christian. Uh, there's 18 cities in Japan without a, a church on about Jesus. You know, 10 of us got together on Friday night to pray. We're going to keep doing that because it's God's church and we want Him to be building it. There's a a classic hymn uh, that I used to sing at a kind of church I was at a bunch of years ago uh, by William Fullerton. Uh, this, this hymn's 100 years old. Uh, the lyrics uh, I've come to appreciate uh, more and more. Uh, I'm not going to sing it for you. It's called I Cannot Tell, um, but I'll read uh, verse 3 for you. It should pop up on the screen. I cannot tell how he will win the nations, how he will claim his earthly heritage. How satisfied the needs of aspirations of East and West, of sinner and of sage. But this I know, all flesh shall see his glory, and he shall reap the harvest he has sown. And someday, some glad day, his sun will shine in splendor when he, the Savior, Savior of the world, is known. Jesus. He is the saviour of the world. Through him, you can have life by trusting in him, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumph resurrection. This is certainty. He is building his church. You can bank on that. And he will return in glory to judge the nations. The passage that Grant read in Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow down before him. Put your trust in him now before you're forced to bow before him. Let go of whatever you're holding on to and be part of his work, his mission here on earth, here in Brisbane and wherever he may lead you. So we, in the face of uncertainty, firstly, we need to remember that it's his church. And secondly, we need to recommit to his word. We need to recommit to his word. You know, never, in, never in any era in human history have we today in 2022 been so bombarded by content. You know, I read, uh, read this week that, that we face an average of 10,000 ads a day. 10,000 ads a day. Most of us don't even realize we're kind of looking at ads, being, being pushed content. They're so subtle these days, so pervasive. Instagram, it's meant to show us what the good life is supposed to be. Uh, the power of Google, amongst many things, has, has kind of taught us that we can be experts in whatever field we want just with the push of a few buttons or um, touches on your phone keypad. You know, we live in the era of fake news. So much content, so much uncertainty. What can we bank on? Friends, we can bank on this, the Word of God. 
Through God's words, he spoke the universe into existence. God is sustaining all things through his word. Jesus Christ is described as the word become human, dwelling amongst his people. The people of God, back in Ezra's time, they needed to be rebuilt. So what does God do? He sends them Ezra. Have a look at what he is like. Uh, Come back with me uh, to Ezra 7 verse 6. Um, This is how he's described. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. He was a scribe, part of the maybe at most 5% of people back then who could write. But in particular, he was skilled in the Bible. And look at what we learn about the Bible from from Ezra. Uh, Verse 6 tells us something very profound, that it's the law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible that Ezra was particularly proficient in. That's the Torah. Uh, that's the kind of the center of the, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, but it's also, it's written by Moses, uh, but also it's given by God. See that? The, the Bible. Uh, we learned something about the Bible. It's written by humans, inspired, breathed by God. You know, God doesn't promise to speak to us if we sit under a tree and meditate or you know, even kind of getting a vibe in our guts. God doesn't promise that he will speak to us through that. But how does he promise that he will speak to us? Through his word. Have a look at how the Bible describes itself in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. All of this is breathed out by God, inspired by God, and useful. It's all useful so that we can be equipped for everything in life, every good work that the Lord has us to do. So come back, keep reading back in Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10. Now look at how Ezra is described. For Ezra had his heart set to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is what God's people needed. They needed the word of God. Fifty years had passed, and yet they weren't centered around his word. Before that, another 70 years had passed um, when they were living in exile. And the word of God had not been taught in community. Even before that, they had kings that weren't on about God's word. They were in desperate need of discipleship. And so there's a community there that that seeks to maybe worship and get caught up in the festivals and experiences, and yet they lack hearing God's voice. They lack depth. Their relationship with God is superficial. And yet we'll see as we keep reading through Ezra, they get caught up in things, following culture, chasing after possessions, and even uh, following, uh, following after other people, following other gods, sleeping with people that aren't on about God, and their hearts are led astray. Uh, in that verse, uh, in chapter seven, sorry, uh, chapter seven, verse ten, we see three ways that God is commit, three ways that Ezra is committed to the Word of God. He studies it, he obeys it, and he teaches it. Firstly, we need to be people of the book. We need to be studying God's Word. How are you going at consuming God's Word? How are you going at consuming God's Word? 
Uh, the Navigators, they're a kind of discipleship movement. They've got this kind of diagram I'll chuck up on the screen called the hand. I like this. Here are five ways that you can consume God's Word. There's more than that, but these are five helpful ways. You know, we can you think about your fingers. Um, uh, you, can, you can hear God's Word. Uh, you can hear it read. You can hear it in an audio Bible. That, that's really helpful. And that's predominantly how the people of God have consumed God's Word th- before they could read, which is throughout history. Uh, it's only a recent thing that we're actually reading people for ourselves. We can read it. And that's really important too. We can uh, study it, you know, taking time to actually break it down, to understand what it says, um, to kind of think about it more. Uh, we can, you know, gospel communities are a great place for that. Uh, we can memorize it. We can actually commit verses, even chunks, to memory, uh, let it shape us. And then finally, we can meditate on it. We can chew over it. We can pray through it. How are you going at doing these things? Are these things kind of completely foreign concepts to you? What does it look like for you to be consuming God's Word? Can I encourage you, friends, to bring your physical Bible to church and to gospel community? Phones are great. Like, I love the Bible app. Um, you know, it's really helpful. However, you miss out on so much uh, context. Uh, there's less distractions. You know, you don't kind of get notifications kind of pop up on this. Look, I get it's a bit cumbersome. You know, a couple of months ago, I, I left the Bible. Um, I put the Bible on top of my car, drove off after church, and I was driving home, and um, I was a few k's down the road, and this guy said to me, like he was pulling up you know, next to me at the traffic, I was like, hey, did you leave a Bible back there? And I, 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 I drove back. I couldn't find it. And the next day, I came back, and I found a Bible in tatters. So look, I get that bring your Bible to church, it can be a little bit inconvenient. But friends, it's worth it. It's worth it because God, He speaks through His Word and having a physical thing is really, really helpful. If you don't own one, love to give you one. Come see the guys at the info desk. You know, I love uh, the fact that we, we run out of Bibles sometimes at church. We give them away. Like one of my favorite things to do uh, in life is to give someone a Bible for their very first time. I've had the joy of doing that at City on a Hill even this year. Um, some of you guys, you know, like you might be new to the Bible, as I said, and um, a great place that you're not sure, like, how do I, like, where do I go? How do I start with this thing? Or maybe you're like not in a good routine. Like, where do I go? Like, can I encourage you to not try to bite off more than you can chew? Why don't you just start with a little bit? Maybe you can read a gospel. Maybe you can read the book of Mark. It's the, the shortest biography of Jesus. Uh, it's straight to the action. It's the thing we look at at introducing Jesus. Really helpful. Friends, how often are you reading through a book of the Bible? Is that something you kind of normally do? Look, I know, if we're honest, that some of us aren't in great habits and rhythms. Look, maybe it's been weeks since we've actually personally read it, consumed it for ourselves. I've been there before. Here's some good news for us. We're not saved by our kind of spiritual disciplines. We're not saved by how good we are at reading and engaging with God's Word. Start small. If you're reading the Bible once a month, having a goal to do a Bible in a plan, a Bible in a year plan, is probably not the next step for you. You'll probably end up disappointed and frustrated. You know, audio Bibles are great. Um, I listen to, to one even on the way here. Um, I've had seasons where actually most of the Bible I've consumed has been just through an audio Bible. There's podcasts out there like Commuter's Bible, Bible uh, in a Year Recap, really helpful stuff that help you engage with the Word. But friends as well, why does Bible reading have to be a, a, a personal, isolated thing? God's given us each other. What can it look like for you to be part, doing that in community? Uh, if, you've got, if you've got family, uh, how, what does it look like for you to be engaging with God's Word in community? 
with that God's given you in your family. Um, just just uh, last week, uh, Was and Leah, they gave me this book. Um, thank you, guys. We've started it this week. It's called um, New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. We've given it a go just over the breakfast table. You know, we've got the young girls. It's a bit chaotic. They're kind of screaming over the top. But it's really helpful just kind of starting the day together as a family uh, in God's Word, eating a physical meal and a spiritual meal at the same time. And like our little one, she's not even two, and she, she knows that we're talking about Jesus. Like it's, it's incredible. What does it look like? What are some rhythms that you have as a family uh, with others uh, to be consuming God's Word? You know, feel free to ask me how, that, how that's going over breakfast in a few weeks' time. But maybe... Um, could you catch up with someone and read the Word? Could you hold someone accountable to read the Word? I know some of you are part of like Bible reading groups where you're maybe not doing it physically together, but you're just kind of posting in a WhatsApp chat about how you're going, what you've been encouraged by. God's given us each other. Let's, let's use it. Let's not struggle in isolation and then kind of pretend things are okay. But, God, but Ezra didn't just study the Word. Uh, come with me back to 7.10. He acted on it. He did it. So we need to be people that obey God's word, that do God's word. Friends, what do we want to be known for as a church? What do we want to be known for as a community? Surely it's more than just knowing the Bible. That's a good thing to be known for, but surely it's more than that. We want to be known for as a community that is impacted by the Bible so that we put it into practice, that we love each other, that our decision-making is affected by God's Word, that our lives look more and more like Jesus, who is the center of the Word. Jesus says that his, the world will know who the followers of, of Him are by their love for each other, by how they've been changed by God's Word. Friends, I'm really encouraged, as I, even as I look around and, and see some of you, I'm really encouraged by you guys and by some genuine community that is formed, that it has formed over the last you know, six or less years, and by the deep gospel friendships that many of you have. You know, gospel communities that are regularly hanging out together, more than just kind of a weekly event, but encouraging each other throughout the week. Seeing lives changed, seeing people grow and become more mature in Jesus. We, we need to be people that study the word, but also do it. But thirdly, the third thing that Ezra does is... Uh, he teaches his statutes and rules in Israel. Teach God's word. Ezra has been described by some scholars as the father of Judaism. You know, the community of God's people at this time were facing an uncertainty. They were in a very vulnerable position in salvation history. But God used Ezra as a great teacher to point people to the God who speaks, the God who saves, uh, the God who has a plan for the world. We'll see over the next few chapters how committed Ezra is to the book and how committed he is to teaching people the word, getting people together to read it and have it taught and be praying about, um, about his people. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, which I know most of you are, we're called to be part of God's plan to make disciples, that make disciples. You are called into his plans of making Jesus known. By teaching others. 
Now, not everyone is necessarily called to kind of do this thing that I'm doing right now. Uh, maybe that's a good thing for some of you, but you know, if, uh, you know, some of us are like, yeah, I could never, you know, public speaking, I'd prefer to die before doing that. But you know, everyone has got a role, a teaching role. All of you have a teaching role. What does that look like? Well, some of you, it's in some formal ways. Uh, maybe uh, you serve at City Kids, uh, City Youth. Maybe you're a gospel community leader. Um, you know, but for all of us, there's informal ways. And a lot of it is just showing up and asking questions. What do I mean by that? You know, imagine if we as a church were committed to just showing up, being committed to being here, being part of gospel community, being with each other, and asking good questions to each other of the Bible for the rest of the year. Under God, I believe that if that's all we did, we would see lots of fruit. Questions that we ask about God's Word are really helpful when we ask them in community. Like, I don't understand this. Who's this Zerubbabel guy? What's going on? Like, why is Ezra like kind of there when there's like more of the Old Testament later on? Like, what's going on? I don't understand all this. Like, they're good questions to ask. Keep asking them. And as we ask them of each other, we have the opportunity to teach each other and to point each other to God. But also ask questions of each other. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, how are you going? How are you going? You know, as, uh, as Aussies, we kind of use that as a greeting. You know, we kind of make it one word. How are you going? Um, now, ask your neighbor the same question, but just add one word. Ask them this. How are you really going? Ask them that. Now, you don't have to answer that right away, but notice how one word makes a massive difference. One word makes a massive difference. You know, friends, when we take off our mask and share how we're really going, we give the opportunity uh, to, to teach each other and to point each other to the one who is in control. We began by looking at this question. How do we rebuild in the face of uncertainty? Now, I'm not sure what challenges that you're facing right here and now. Someone uh, in my gospel community uh, this week, they were sharing um, about their life and uh, their Jesus story. And on one level, it was heartbreaking. Uh, they were sharing about serious sickness, abuse, depression, relationship breakdown, isolation. There's more I could say about their story. And yet on another level, it was joyful. Despite their circumstances, despite their hardship and uncertainty that they were facing, they continued to trust in God. They have a joy in Him and a commitment to our church. They want to know Jesus more and make Him known. Friends, whatever uncertainty you are facing right now, maybe it's financial, uh, maybe it's uncertainty about relationships or about a particular relationship that's causing you stress. Maybe it's your emotional or mental or physical health. Friends, whatever it may be, whatever is going on at church, around Australia, around the world, we need to be reminded that Jesus is still reigning on the throne. He is still interceding at the right hand of the Father for us. He is still speaking through the power of His Holy Spirit through His Word. He is using broken vessels like you and I to rebuild His church. As I invite the band up, why don't you stand as I pray? 
Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that this, that City on a Hill Brisbane, that your people across the world are your church. Help us be reminded that we are under you, that you, Jesus, are our chief shepherd. And yet, help us be faithful to what you have called us to do, to rebuild, to continue on building your church. May we serve with whatever you have given us. Uh, May we give with whatever you have given us. And may we be joyful um, seeing our mission to know Jesus and make Jesus known as your mission. Lord, I pray that we can be people that are committed to your word, to studying it, to being changed by it, but to also be doing it, putting it into practice and teaching others. And I pray that through all of this, would you get the glory. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.